Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. This is an encore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grilly It's Green here in Portland on AM860, The Answer, the Golf News Network, and several stations around the West, including KSEY down in Texas. As you know, this is the show where we talk to the interesting people in the world of golf, the characters and curmudgeons and carefree souls that make this game and the folks in it and around it worth talking to. We would like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also Gunter Wilhelm Knives, unmatched quality, comfort, and efficiency uh, for your own personal enhanced productivity in the kitchen online at GunterWilhelm.com. Well, if you've ever read Sports Illustrated, watched ESPN, uh, several newspapers around the country, this is a name that you should be familiar with, Bob Herrig. Bob's got a book out. Uh, came out last year. The golf's most famous uh, or fascinating, I should say, rivalry, Tiger and Phil. And Bob's been kind enough to join us today. Hey, bud, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks no, so much. No problem. What was the you've covered the tour for a long time, and I'm sure you've got more stories than you actually put in the book. But what prompted you, first of all, to write this? We'll get that out of the way. Yeah, sure. It's fair. Good question. I mean, you have to have a reason. And um, uh, actually, the idea sort of came to me almost right after Tiger won the Masters in 2019. Um, and uh, uh, I kind of thought, you know, this this might be just the most career defining victory that, that he could have had, you mm -hmm. know, just everything he had come back from. And had been 11 years since he won a major and uh, all, all of the things that we know went into that. So um, I got the idea thinking maybe there's something there and it was going to have to be a really fast turnaround if you were going to do that, like to capture it quickly. And I just wasn't going to be able to pull that off. And so I got to thinking, you know, <laughs> look, a lot has changed since then, but the thinking at the time was sort of, you know, I think the careers of Tiger and Phil are probably, if they're not over, they're close. Mm -hmm. And these have been the two top guys in the game for 25 years. Right. Um, Tiger had the greater record, but Phil, you know, really gave him a lot of tussles <laughs> in the second half of their careers. Yeah. And I kind of thought, you know, rivalries are good stories. T Tiger and Phil didn't necessarily get along. They were new, you know, obviously I've got a lot of this in there. They're just numerous examples of them, you know, sort of being at each other, you know, pettiness mostly. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to just explore their intersection, you know, and 
you know, I think the big, and so that's where the idea of a, of a rivalry book came about. Sure. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I tried to delve into some things. I think a lot of people might not have known, especially younger people that, you know, Phil was tiger before tiger, you know, Phil was incredible. We all know that tiger was on TV when he was five years old and those stories have been told, but Phil was, you know, he was just as accomplished as a young kid as tiger was. And, you know, he had scholarship offers when he was a freshman in high school, the same trajectory. He just won different events as an amateur than Tiger did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took I kind of take it from there all the way through to, you know, really through Phil winning the PGA in 2021. Now, of course, there's been a ton of other stuff off the course since. Uh, and this book kind of ended before then, but I could probably write a couple more chapters. It, it, their, their rivalry is still interesting. Even, yeah. even now you talked about the the pettiness bob sort of do you the the impetus of that is i always thought tiger kind of like looked at phil with some disdain mm-hmm. he respected him in some ways as far as his playing abilities you know but uh, he looked at him with that and you could kind of tell and even when they did the match and some of those made for tv deals you know you could tell that he would still like the with the comments and and it's made for tv and so we all know they're going to take digs at each other and all that but i remember when they were phil was going to mark his ball and he had his silver medal from the open uh the u.s open i think it was and <laughs> and he's he says, oh, I'm going to mark it with that. And, and Tiger pipes up and says, well, I've got like four of them with the gold right. medals. You want to use one of those? Yeah. And little things like that. Do you think that was right from the get go or did that build over the years? Well, I mean, a lot of this is on Tiger, frankly. You know, Phil over the years did his best, I thought, to to try to have a cordial professional relationship with Tiger certainly on the outside. Sure. You know, and, and Tiger just, it, it just look, it's not a, it's not really a knock. It's just, this how he was, especially early on the first 10 years, he wasn't going to let anybody get close. Anybody in his life who was going to get close to him was not going to be a threat on the golf course. That's why, you know, and I get into all this, but you know, that's why John Cook and, and Mark O'Meara were his, his closest friends on the PJ tour. They were older than him by 15, 18 years. Right. While, while Mark O'Meara won two majors the year after Tiger uh, became a pro or within two years, Tiger did not view him as a threat. He didn't view John Cook as a threat. He viewed people his own age as threats. Mm-hmm. So he was not going to let Phil get close. They weren't going to be chummy. Um, and yeah, I think there's some things about Phil that annoyed Tiger. I think early on Phil, Tiger thought that Phil was not living up to his potential. He, he didn't quite have the respect for him that he, that you would have thought given his record. I mean, Tiger won eight majors before Phil won one and Tiger's looking around thinking to himself, what the hell's the matter with this guy? Yeah. You know, how, how, you know, and so it, it, it slowly eroded, you know, it got better as, as Phil emerged. Then it became, well, wait a minute. Now he's starting to step into my turf. And I, you know, and so they were going to, there was going to be some friction. Some of the friction was, like I said, petty. Uh, and it was never like awful. No. You know, in the overall scheme of things, it's no big deal. Um, certainly what's going on in golf today, it's no big deal, uh, you know, with the <laughs> yeah. contentiousness. But it was, you know, it's somewhat humorous to look back on some of it. 
Yeah, some of the the different stories that I've heard, not only through your book, but over the years, uh, Butch Harmon tells a story about Phil taking his pants off in the player's locker room when they were having <laughs> lunch one day and Tiger got after him for it. And Harmon thought that was tremendously funny. And I actually thought it was funny, right. too, you know. And so you hear those stories, but then as as viewers and listeners, what have you, we get little snippets. We don't see what happens when they first show up at the course. We don't see what happens when they both made the cut and they know they're going to play together on Sunday in the final round, but they find out on Saturday. We don't see the interactions there. That must have been fascinating for you over all the years you covered it to see those things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there was there there was uh, you know, some behind the scenes stuff uh between them. Um uh you know, Phil was always the more gregarious guy and yeah. you know, kind of welcomed the attention and 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 was actually very deferential too. You know, gave Tiger his due many many times said, you know, I wonder what my career would have been like without him. And yet I'm not sure I would have been as good without him because he made me get better, made me work at it. Um, you know, the, 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 the sad thing is, is we didn't see them go head to head in majors enough. Yeah. You know, there's really only a handful of those a handful of final round pairings in a major kind of shows how hard that is to happen in golf. Uh, just didn't happen that often. Um, uh, but yet we had a stretch in time where those two were sort of, you know, they were trading green jackets, uh, 04, 05, and 06. Um, you know, um, Tiger finally missed a cut in a major at Wingfoot in 06, the U.S. Open. Phil has it right within his grasp and blew it. It would have been, it would have been his third in a row. Yeah. You know, imagine that. I mean, Tiger's the only guy to do that since Ben Hogan in 1953. Jack Nicklaus never won three in a row. Tiger actually won four in a row. Tiger won three in a row uh, in the same in the same year, um, and you know Nicholas Palmer, Watson, Player, Floyd, you know Seve, none of those guys did that. Right. And Tiger did it, and now Phil was one hole away from doing it, and unfortunately wasn't able to get that done. Yeah, we're going to take a break here on Grilling Up the Green. We're going to be back with Bob Herrig. Talk about his book. It's been out for a while, but if you haven't read it, you really should. I would recommend it. Golf's most fascinating rivalry, Tiger and Phil. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. This is an encore. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We've got Bob Herring with us today. Bob's a longtime writer for ESPN, Tampa Bay Times. He's covered Tiger and Phil since they both got out of diapers. Um, you know, like that. We'd like to also thank the folks at Birdie Ball for supporting this show. Birdie Ball's been rated um, one of the top training aids in the last 25 years. You can find out more about them on birdieball.com. I always wonder when I see that, you know, Phil, you've interviewed him, you've talked to him, you've walked with him on the course and stuff. Sometimes I always think there's something right under the surface. Cause with Tiger, I think you, you, 
you get what you see right there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a real, like you said in the last segment, Bob, Phil's a very gregarious guy. Tiger is not. He's very quiet. He's made a lot of changes the last few years with all the the accident and the different surgeries. And now he's playing with Charlie a lot. And that's all good. Yeah. But, but I always feel that when you're looking at Phil, there's something right under the surface that's like ready to go boom. Am I incorrect in that? Yeah, you know, I think this past year showed us that Phil's a much more complicated guy than we were than we all know. Um, you know, there's there's clearly some things that have gone on behind the scenes. Um, you know, he's he's always viewed things a little bit different than other players. And, you know, he's uh, you know, his comments almost a year ago now suggest, you know, that um you know, he's been very unhappy in, in just in terms of the way things were operating on the PGA tour. Now this is whether you agree with him or not, you know, that's a whole nother debate, but sure. You know, he, he had some points that he felt were, had gone unheeded for years. And, you know, why at this point in his career, he would have felt so moved to push this even farther is really kind of a mystery. I mean, there's, there's been, you know, considerable speculation that he had gambling issues, that he had gambling debts. You know, I asked him about that point blank. I, I, I had the chance to talk to him first when he, you know, he had the four months off. Right. I asked him that question straight up. Do you have a gambling problem? He admitted he used to. He claims he doesn't anymore, but he said he used to. I said, well, do you have money problems? I mean, look, these are not the easiest questions to ask people, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about a sport and, you know, you usually don't dive into their personal lives to that level. But I asked them, I said, look, you've got to, you know, this is fair. This is fair given what you are doing here. You know, you are, you are one of, you know, one of the top players of all time. You've made a lot of money. um, And yet you are going after a fortune here. Why? And his answer was this, look, I do not have money issues. I have been financially secure for a very long time. So look, that doesn't mean he was being honest, but if you take him for, he could have danced around it too. He could have, you know, he he didn't have to answer it so directly. So if you take him at his word, you know, he had plenty of money. He had gambling problems in the past. My guess is he still gambles enough to where he owes some here and there too. Uh, So why would you do this? I mean, you know, you were, you're in your early 50s, clearly the back end of your career, you, you, uh, almost what, uh, only a year, a little more than a year earlier, you have this historic win at the PGA Championship that that, right. that should have set your legacy. And instead, I mean, look, I mean, do people even talk about that? It seems like a million years ago now. Yeah, that is true. Which one out of the two of them would you say is, and this is a very slanted question. I'll, I'll give you that right up front. Which one had the tendency to hold a grudge a little more? Was it Tiger or was it Phil? There's no question it was Tiger. Um, I think Tiger has sort of, you know, he's made a career out of that. You know, he's tried to use it to his advantage. Um, there's an example in the book where, um, in the early 2000s, Phil made what was sort of a crack. It was, it was meant to be a joke, you know, Hey, you know, Tiger's playing with inferior equipment. Yeah. The you Nike know, stuff. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, he, he's, he's mad that I'm, I'm hitting it by him now. 
And, you know, what it, ultimately in the, in the bigger context of those comments, he was paying Tiger a compliment. I mean, Tiger was like at the top of his game. If he did have inferior equipment, it wasn't hurting him. Right. You know, and, and this was the point made at the time. But it was, it was all taken as this is a slam against Nike. Phil slamming Tiger's equipment company. He's slamming the company that pays him millions of dollars a year. And oh, by the way, I just signed with Callaway. Bro was about to, you know, but, but so, and I remember I talked to Hank Haney about this Tiger's old coach and Tiger said, look, or uh, Haney said, look, Tiger knew what he was saying. He, he knew that, that he didn't mean it to be any huge slam. Sure. He meant it as Tiger isn't maximizing his equipment at the time. I believe, you know, th- he was using a 43 and a half inch shaft in his driver. And so most people today probably play a 44, even, even us guys, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, longer became better because it meant more power, you know, well, Tiger didn't switch right away and everybody else was using a longer shaft and he was using a shorter shaft. And there was this feeling out there that, that it was costing him some yardage. Didn't mean he wasn't cleaning up still. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was, that was Phil's point, you know? And so, but yet Tiger, didn't really let him off the hook. It, it became a thing where like Phil had to apologize and Tiger used it as motivation, you know? And, and, and so whether, you know, I think there were instances where, you know, he, he might've manufactured some, you know, is that really something to get all worked up about? Probably not, but he did. He used it to, to his advantage. Well, sure. I, I always think of, I had a guy in school that was like, Phil, so to speak, uh, he was really good in sports. He w- he was a very friendly guy, but he was also always kind of a what would I say, Bob, a disruptor. Mm-hmm. You know, y- you would get in the middle of something like with these two guys, the the Open or the PGA or something, and things are kind of going bumping along in the the tournaments playing, and then all of a sudden, the guy I'm referring to in my lifetime. All of a sudden, he would say something or do something. I don't want to say stupid, but he would do something. And then there was an uproar with the coaches or (laughs) there was an uproar with the fans or something. You know, Steve did this, Steve did that, like that. And I just see the similarities in that. And I think some of it was harmless, but I also think that some of it, they just can't help themselves. Sure. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things. Hey, we're going to take another break here on Grilling at Screen. We're going to be back with Bob Herring. Uh, and talk some more about his new book, um, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry, Tiger and Phil. Great book. You should read it if you haven't. And we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's JT. And this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. <laughs> This is an encore. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Might have to send Bob some steaks here. Uh, <laughs> beef the way nature intended. We're talking with Bob Herrig today. A little bit about you. I didn't know you were an Evans scholar. Sure was. Good for you. Yep. Still consider myself one, I guess. It you never really leaves you, right? No, yeah. it, it doesn't. We uh, Where I live, I live south of Portland. A little sidebar story here. 
the golf program at the local high school was pretty much dead when I got here. And then one of the coaches slash teachers picked it up again. We've now on the, we're now on the verge of having our third Evans scholar out mm. of, out of that program, a lot of minorities here and stuff. It, and I think it's great. And I really think the Evans scholarship is a really cool thing for, for young people. So uh, just sidebar, like I said, they, but, yeah, they've done a great job of expanding it out West, you know, yeah. um, I believe they might have um, a chapter house now at the University of Oregon. They do. They do. Which, you know, when I was going through this a million years ago, um, it was mostly based in the Midwest. Um, You know, it's a Chicago based program. There was uh, the schools were, you know, I went to Indiana, like, you know, mostly big 10 schools. Right. And in recent years, you know, they have done a really, really good job of expanding it. Um, They've got a bunch of West Coast chapters and East. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a terrific program. I mean, people to this day will still, you know, ask me about it or they'll be amazed that, you know, when you tell them, yeah, I went to college on a caddy scholarship and it's like, what, you know, and they're like, Mm -hmm. wait, wait a minute. You did what? Yeah. I I caddied when I was growing up, you know, for 10 years, basically actually through college. And, but I earned an Evans scholarship and they paid my tuition for four years. It's pretty amazing program. And you could imagine with the cost of tuition today, how much that must cost. Oh yeah. So they have to, they have to do a lot of work to, to raise that kind of money. It's, it's really impressive. Well, and one of the cool things about our local deal here is all three of the scholarship recipients were girls. Yeah. Yeah. Very much expanded the program with women. It's um, you know, they've, they've, they've done a great job of, of incorporating them. That wasn't as much of a thing when I was, when I was doing it, but I mean, part of it is, is, you know, the, what they're, what they've gotten better at, or actually have always tried to do, but gotten better at is to have kids eligible for the scholarship. You have to have caddy programs, right. You know? And so what they've done is they've, they've tried to, you know, look, you have to be honest over the last 50 years, caddying has waned Mm -hmm. in the U S because the, the proliferation of golf courses that are built, not really for walking or, they're very, very dependent on cart revenue, you know, and so it has, you know, and, and also look, let's be, let's be honest, it's expensive. You know, if you're going to take a caddy, it's probably going to cost you 75 to a hundred dollars. Right. You know, uh, whereas you get on a cart and it's 25. Right. You know? So there's all kinds of factors that they have to overcome. And it's, it, although I'm sure there are Evan scholars who work at golf courses that maybe aren't full-time caddies, it's really meant for people that are caddies and carrying the bag and doing that. So it's incumbent upon them to, to, um, you know, to cultivate candidates and they've really done a good job of getting women, girls exposed to caddying. Yeah. They, uh, they had to go and set it up. So the, the girls could go to a couple of the private country clubs here and caddy, they couldn't do it at the local. Um, I live two blocks from the OGA course, the Oregon golf association. And even that is the home of golf here in the, this state, they don't have a caddy program, but, Mm. but up the road, 20 miles, they have them in a couple of uh, country clubs. So that's how they set it up. Anyway, back to the book. What was the toughest part about writing this book for you? I mean, you write every day, you've got deadlines, you got to get your stories out there. As I told everybody, you've written for uh, ESPN and Sports Illustrated, the Tampa Times, all that. So, I mean, that's what you do. 
but it is another thing to tackle a book like this. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's complete. It was, it was a completely uh, new experience for me. You think you'd know, right? But, you know, I, I've pretty much spent my entire career writing in the daily medium. I work for newspapers, now the internet, you know, Sports Illustrated, where you're writing daily, you're writing almost in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it, you know, if, if something happened today, I would be writing it immediately and it's posted within minutes, you know, whereas a book is such a long process and even the lead time and as to getting it done is long from the time I had to have it done to when it actually published. So there was a couple of things that, that were huge challenges. It was enough of a challenge without, um, but one of them was Tiger's car crash. Um, my book was basically due in July of 2021. Uh, and obviously that meant the entire fall was going to be spent kind of them editing or rewriting or making changes. And then it was coming out last spring. Well, in February of 2021, Tiger has this horrific car crash. And all of a sudden, it's like, this is the elephant in the room. And how do I handle it? You know, uh, uh, you know of course, let's get past to, you know, like I, I want to acknowledge it was it, in those first days, you wondered if he was going to live. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it was it was this became like a, 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 just a side issue. Obviously, it wasn't the most important issue in the world. But as far as the book was concerned, you know, there was this period there where we didn't really know what his prognosis was. And how do you handle this in a book that is going to have to be finished well before maybe we have some of those answers? So that threw me a complete curveball there. I mean, it it meant redoing the beginning of the book. I had to, um, you know, I, I had to address this. You know, you just couldn't ignore it. And so that cost me time. You know, book's due in July. This is in February. I'm well into the process of writing the book. And now I've got to, and I'm not close to being done. <laughs> and, now, and now I've added this other element that actually took me weeks to figure out how to do it, like where to get to it, what to work through. And so um, um, the, uh, then the next part is, is uh, Phil wins. Okay. So yeah. the whole book is Phil's got 44 wins and five majors. So you know, you've got that in there 10, 12, 15 different times where you're referencing these different things. Well, now he wins, but it's not just any win. It's the PGA Championship. He becomes the oldest major champion in history. It's his sixth major. You could make the argument that it pushed him into the top 10 uh, all time. Sure. And, um, and so, okay, this now becomes a, an entirely new chapter that I have to do. Well, you know, these chapters are, are pro, you know, I, I kind of tried to look at them as like, as I think I ended up having 21 chapters. It was like 21 really long feature stories that I would do, you know, maybe mm-hmm. five, 6,000 words. And, you know, it could take me two weeks to write one of those, depending on circumstances, you know? Yeah. So now I've got another one to do, right? So those were the big challenges right there. Those were the huge challenges. How do you know when you're done? You said in the one of the previous segments that there was, quote, there was another chapter or two for the book. OK, and, I, you know, that's just a parlance on words there, parlance on words. But how do you know when you finally push back from the desk and say, OK, I told this story, I'm done here? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I kind of had a chapter outline and I had an, I had an ending point in which as I was going to take them through 2021, you know, Phil, Phil, Phil maybe got the last laugh, but let's see if Tiger has one more in them, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And I talked about them being future Ryder cup captains. Now that's in doubt for Phil because of live golf. Right. Um, I talked about them maybe, you know, finding the magic once in a while, uh, because of, uh, uh, you know, their ability to compete on uh, certainly at the Masters and at the British Open. Yeah. Those are venues where their experience is, is still going to help them. And and their and their lack of length or what have you isn't a detriment. So I, I, I kind of had all that to end it with. And when I said there's more to it, well, you know, as 2022 dawned, the whole live thing came. The Phil, the Phil stuff blew up. Um, you know, Tiger and Phil took completely different sides of this of this issue, which sure. to me means their rivalry continues. And those are things I don't have in there. You know, I wish I could, I wish that that's a whole, you know, and frankly, it's probably a whole nother book. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. maybe you could do volume two. You know, yes, you, right. you never know like that. It's, uh, well, it's just always fascinating stories with these guys. We are going to uh, take another break here and we're going to be back with Bob Herrig. We're going to talk about his book, golf's most fascinating rivalry, tiger and Phil. If you haven't read it, I'm not here just to, uh, you know, hustle books for Bob. That's not my job, but this is a real, this is a really good book. And if you haven't read it, you really should just for the fact that there's a lot of stuff that I followed these guys for years and years, you know, Tiger used to play up here in the amateurs at, at Mm -hmm. um, pumpkin Ridge and stuff, but there was a lot of stuff in here that I found out that I didn't know. Anyway, I digress. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hi everybody. It's JT. And this is a special version of grilling at the green. Grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted Hills, natural beef beef. You can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's painted Hills, natural beef. This is an encore. Welcome back to uh, Grilling at the Green. We would like to thank the folks at Birdie Ball for supporting our show here. We, uh, John Breaker and his crew over there in Colorado do a great job. And speaking of a great job, here is Bruce Furman with your golf tip of the week. Okay, this is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langdon Farms. I'm going to give you a, a little tip on how to hit a draw or a hook. Uh, the majority of people hit fades, uh, particularly higher Average players and higher uh, handicappers are slices, and that's a ball that goes left to right for a right-handed golfer. So to hit a draw, you want it to go right to left. And that means your path is a little to the right of the target, and the face is slightly close to that path to create that draw spin. So how do you do that? Well, you set up called tilted behind the ball so that your head is behind the ball, your left shoulder is higher, and your spine is leaned back slightly. You can, you can have square, slightly closed shoulders. You might have to check your grip. Some people have their face too open because of a weak grip. So sometimes you have to change your grip and get what we call a stronger grip where you see more knuckles in your left hand and the Vs go to your back shoulder. And then when you take the club away, it's good to take the club away with the face staying pointed at the ball a long time. So when you get to about thigh high with the club, that face from the golfer's standpoint, meaning a right-handed golfer, is about at 10 o'clock and you're not rolling that face open. If you do that, then you've got the face and your wrist in a good position to be able to hit a draw. And then the downswing feels kind of like you're throwing a discus out to right right center field. So you're going to swing kind of low to high from inside out or going out to right field. You're 
You're going to let your forearms rotate the toe of the club over in order to get that face closed. And if you do that with a lighter grip, it, it may feel more like a right arm swing rather than a pull down or a tight left arm pull down. So you want to feel more like a right arm throw rather than a left arm pull. And if you do that, then I think you can learn to hit a draw or a hook. Try it. I hope it helps. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can find out more about Bruce and his teaching schedule and program. Just go to Langdon Farms, click on instruction. There's a drop-down menu. There's a picture of that silver-haired devil there. And uh, give him a buzz. He can help you out there. So we're talking with Bob Herrig. Uh, your, your career has been so varied and so vast uh between working for espn and sports illustrated i mean when you talk about sports those are the first two media outlets i think people think about are those two and uh great career is there anything in your career bob that you haven't done that you want to oh boy you know that's an interesting question because i mean i think if you you know i think the way I look at it is I, there was a point in time where I picked kind of sticking with golf. Mm -hmm. And, and so maybe that precluded me from doing some other things that as a, you know, I, I started out as a sports writer where I was doing everything. Sure. When I was working in a newspaper here in Florida, you know, I covered college football, covered college basketball. I went to final fours. I went to bowl games, Rose bowls, orange bowls, all that stuff. Right. Um, I even, you know, cause I live in the Tampa area. And we had, we had several Super Bowls here. I helped out on three of those. Uh, so I was involved in that. You know, I mean, is there anything I didn't do? I mean, maybe I went to one Olympics for golf, but I would have loved to have gone to an Olympics and experienced the greater, um, you know, you know the, frankly, the, 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 the whole experience. I went to Rio where we were very confined and I only was really going to the golf um, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of fears there of, of, of violence or, you know, right. issues. And so, so I didn't get to enjoy, I think, you know, the whole festiveness of an Olympics. I would have liked to maybe done that. Although, you know, I, you know, there's an Olympics, what in next year, right. 2024. Right. So, uh, and golf is in it. And obviously I, I would, uh, God willing, I expect to be there. So maybe there'll be more of an opportunity, but I, I don't have a whole, you know, a whole much more than that to say, God, I wish I would have done. I mean, in golf, it's been everything, all the majors, Ryder Cups, you know, I've been to all kinds of places. I followed Tiger all over the place. I went to the Middle East four or five times with him. And, you know, I've been to the President's Cup in Australia. And right. And it, I was I felt very I feel very fortunate. I was at every one of Tiger and Phil's major wins. Um, didn't miss any of those. I was at Tiger's last win, which was in Japan, which who would have seen that coming? Right. Uh, so yeah, all, all together. It's been, uh, it's been great. Name of the book is golf's most fascinating rivalry, uh, Tiger and Phil by Bob Herring. Bob's been kind enough to be on the show with us today. He's going to stick around for after hours. Well, I, I promise to get him out in time. He, <laughs> He's got a tea time or something. Next week, Laura Tennant, one of the U.S.'s top amateurs, lives right here in Portland, will be with us. And, Bob, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's nice to meet you. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great. You're uh, welcome on the show anytime. We'll be back next week. So, everybody, go out there, play some golf, have fun, and remember, be kind. Take care. Good times and tomorrow's going to be better than today.
Rolling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. And remember, the key to lower scores, a pencil with an eraser. See you next week.